John chapter 5, beginning, Jesus finds a man at the pool of Bethesda. He's staring at the water. He is believing in a superstitious belief that if he could just get into the water fast enough on his own, he could, be, he could find healing. Um, he, would, he would be free from his uh, life of being paralyzed. Jesus steps into his life, asks him, do you want to be healed? It's a Sabbath day. And Jesus heals him, tells him to take up his mat, and he begins to walk around. The Sabbath police find him, the religious leaders, they get on to him. What are you doing carrying your mat on the Sabbath day? Well, this guy told me, who in the world told you to do this? And so they're mad at him because he's sinning on, on the Sabbath day. And then they're really mad at the one who told him he could sin on the Sabbath day. They eventually find out it's Jesus. They're like, who are you? Who do you think you are that you can do something like this? And so Jesus begins to answer them in John chapter 5 as here's why I can do the things that I am doing and why I can do this on the Sabbath. So in John 5, beginning in verse 19, and we're going to read through 24, <clears throat> 19 and 20 were connected last week, but I want to put, kind of put it all together. And so here's kind of where we are in John 5 of Jesus answering them as to why he thinks he can do what he did on the sabbath let's actually go to 18 this is why the jews were seeking all the more to kill him because not only was he breaking the sabbath but he was even calling god his own father making himself equal with god and that really set him off so jesus says to them in 19 truly truly i say to you the son can do nothing of his own accord but only what he sees the father doing for whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. In greater works than these will he show him, so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, <clears throat> so also the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. And whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. And truly, truly, I say to you, by the way, that phrase 25 times in John's Gospel, truly, truly, meaning I'm about to say something that's going to be established as truth from this time moving forward. And so Jesus, each time he's saying that, he's affirming that. So truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me <clears throat> has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. So Jesus is continuing to affirm who he is and why he can do the things that he can do. Now before we walk through that, I want you to go back to John chapter 1, verse 1. Because as John writes this, and I share with the other two services, I believe the most significant book that has been written in the last 2,000 years is the Gospel of John. I think just it, I think it's the most significant literature, whatever you want to call it, piece of of uh, of writing that has happened in the last uh, two thousand years. And John wants us to see the rest of this gospel through the lens of John one one. This is why he starts it this way: is this great affirmation about Jesus? And so, so John one one has everything to do with what we read in John five twenty one through twenty four today. And so, I want to take us back there just for a moment. Uh, so here it is in the beginning was the word the word was with God and the word was God now in the Greek 
This word was, our English word was here, it's not in English, it, it indicates something past tense. In the Greek, it's kind of hard to put this into English language in, in a real succinct way, but this word is in the imperfect tense and it indicates something that is of a continuous action. It is something that is true and will continue to be true. So another way, way to read John 1.1 1, 1 is this, in the beginning was the word in a continuous state of being. So, He was always the Word. He will continue always to be the Word, the Logos, the, the Word of God. Second part of John 1.1. 1, 1, and the Word was with God in a continuous state. So, Jesus was with the Father, had always been with the Father in a continuous state. This had not ever been the case. They had always been connected together. And then, He closes it, and the Word was God in a continuous state. In other words, meaning the Word, Jesus had always been God. He did not become God in Bethlehem. He didn't become God when he um, became the propitiation for our sin on the cross. When he became, he had, oh, he has always been God. There was never a time that he was not this case. And so John writes in John 1, 1, this is the lens to put on the eyes in which to see Jesus throughout the rest of this gospel. He is the one who is the centerpiece of Humanity. Now, there are some implications connected to the nature of the Father and the Son with John chapter 1, verse 1, that are important for us. And Haven's going to put these up on the screen if you're taking some notes today. So here's the first implication that the, of the Father and Son's um, relationship with one another. And, and the first one is this, is they are eternal in nature in a continuous state. So there's not a... We have, I don't know about you, I don't know about, I, I know most of you, but uh, you, I have a pea brain. You probably don't have a pea brain. But, but to fathom the idea is there's never been a beginning with God. It's just impossible to, to try and wrap your mind around. He's never, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, never had a beginning point. They just, and I said this in the second service, and, and Charity won't like this because she's a school teacher. God just bees. He just is. Okay, He be. He He is. He's I am. There's not a There's not a starting point. He just has existed, and that's the reality about who He is. And so, so there's this eternal nature of the Father and the Son that they have always been God at the same time. Not one before the other. They have always been God. Secondly, this is an eternal relationship. An eternal relationship in relationship with one another in a continuous state. And so this word, and the word was with God, this word with in the Greek means um, you can't do this today because look at our room, you have to social distance. But, but God cannot social distance. They don't have to worry about that. And it means face to face. This word with means the Father and the Son are face to face with one another, indicating they are equal with one another in regard to relationship. The Father's not greater than the Son. The Son is not greater than the Father. The Spirit's not greater than Jesus. This is three in one. They have unique roles in what they do. But So this eternal relationship in a continuous state indicates friendship and intimacy and relationship with one another, and there is equality. Here's a third um, thing that is implication in regard to John 1.1. And it's the essence and nature of the Father and the Son as God is in a continuous state. And the Word, and particularly about Jesus, and the Word, the Logos, Jesus, 
is continuing to be God. So Jesus, again, I said it a while ago, um, when he took on flesh, he didn't become less God because now he was a man. Um, he has always continued uh, to be God. He never has been less God in any kind of way. John 1.14 tells us this, And the Word, the Logos, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, the glory as of the only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. And so John started his gospel with this lens, wanting us to remember and understand of this relationship between the Father and the Son is really, really incredibly significant. And so when we get to John chapter 5, as Jesus is answering why He can do the things that He can do, it echoes back to what John wants us to see through the lens of John 1.1. 1, 1. All right, so let's go. I've got four things today in regard to the nature of Jesus that are really important. And I said this to the other two services, and I'll say it here, because I'll just say, y'all are my favorite service today. I don't know if I really mean that, but anyway, I'm just kidding. Yes, y'all are. Matt, did that hurt your feelings? Matt, no, okay. Y'all are my favorite service today. All right, now listen. This is really important. Um, this text that we're about to, to, to walk through, 21 through 24, you will not hear anywhere in America unless the church walks verse by verse through the Scripture. Because this is not one of those passages where you would go, okay, this is going to fix things in your financial life and blah, 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 even though it will fix a lot of things in our lives. But this is one of those, this is one of those things that you, you will really care about John 5, 21 through 24, if you think that doctrine and theology and the understanding of the nature of God is really important, and we at this church believe so. And so 21 through 24, the stuff that we're about to see here, um, is foundational for us and gives incredible implications to every aspect of our lives. So look at 21. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. And here's the, first, here's the first thing that Jesus is stating today in this section. He has been stating multiple things in response to the religious leaders as to why he could heal on the Sabbath. But on this one, this point, it's this. The Son of God must be seen as the giver of life. He is to be seen as the giver of life. So look at 521. So as the Father, Jesus speaking, the Father raises the dead, and the Father gives life, so also the Son, again, equal to having the same nature, same essence, so the Son gives life to whom He will. If you want to know what ultimate power is, it is the power to give life. That is ultimate power. That's why we affirm God is the Creator. We're not a a place that affirms that we crawled out of some pond somewhere and eventually over time and all this kind of stuff, kind of people came. No, we, we have a loving creator. We affirm this great reality that he's sovereign, he's good, he's great, he's awesome, he's majestic, and he is the giver of life. He is the one who is the source of life. And so as John writes this section in John 5, he is affirming to us, watch, the Father gives life, and because Jesus and the Father have the same essence, Jesus also has the same authority to give life, to bring healing, to do what God does on any kind of day. Now, Jesus is equating himself with the Father, so he's going to echo back with a statement to the Old Testament. 
So back in the Old Testament, three places, people who were dead came to life again. So 1 Kings 17, 22, Elijah and the widow of Sarepta um, had a boy, died. Elijah lays on top of the boy, eyes to eyes, mouth to mouth. The boy comes to life. 2 Kings 4, 32 through 35 is Elisha with the Shunammite son. Same thing happens there. Boy is dead. Elisha lays on top of the boy. He comes to life. And then in 2 Kings chapter 13, there's a freaky moment where every year Moabite people would come into Israel. They would pillage and, and they would steal and they would rob. And so they had come in. These Moabite raiders had come in and someone had died. And so the Jews threw a body into Elisha's tomb in 2 Kings 13. I don't know if you remember this, but when the dead body touched the bones of Elisha, that dead body just stood up, just came to life as it touched the bones of Elisha. So as Jesus speaks here, that Caleb, would that freak you out, Caleb? Hello, Caleb, are you listening? He's like, okay, I'm not even going to talk to you. You're not even listening to me. He's drawing my sermon. I'm just kidding. All right. That is awesome. Okay, thank you very much. Thank you. All right. So, Watch what Jesus does here. So in the Old Testament, the Father gave the power to two prophets to raise people who were dead to life. And so now Jesus says, just as the Father did that, then I have the same authority now to do what the Father did in the Old Testament. Again, he's affirming. So, so you go back to John 5, 18, and he's, they're upset with him. Not only did he... Did he disregard the Sabbath, but he was making himself equal to the Father. And they're just incredibly upset. But he's, and so he's making this case, well, I'm like the Father. And he proved he was like the Father. So in Luke 7, 11 through 17, the widow of Nain's son is raised to life. He was dead. Luke 8, 49 through 56, Jairus' daughter is dead. Jesus raises her to life. John 11 1 through 44, Lazarus has been dead for four days. They roll the stone away. He calls out Lazarus, Lazarus, and he comes forth alive. And then one of my favorite ones, and I'll, sometimes you wish, can we have like a couple more? I know, the, I know the, the word of God's complete, but can we have a couple more sentences? In Matthew chapter 27, Jesus is on the cross, and when he dies, the tombs open up and all these dead people from ages past are walking around in Jerusalem. And I'm like, can you tell us like who they were, what's going on? And I know it's not the point, but his life was so powerful that even in his death, it raised people who had been dead for hundreds of years. So Jesus is making the case here. I can heal on the Sabbath because just as the Father raised people from the dead in the Old Testament, I have the same power as the Father to raise people from the dead in the New Testament. And so Jesus, this is His practice, He moves things from death to life, and He has the absolute authority to give life. And so look what it says, for as the Father gives, uh, raises, for as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom He will. There are two moments of time that Jesus gives life. And let's talk about the first one, and that's life here on earth. So during these days that we live here, we have the, the offer from the Father's heart, from Christ Himself, to come to faith 
and to be raised from a spiritual death to a spiritual life um, in our salvation. So on the earth life is a time period where Jesus raises people from the dead spiritually at salvation. Now when this happens, we become new. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. So in salvation, Jesus takes what was dead. He raises it to life. We are made new in Him. So what life do we get at that particular point in time? Do I get, do I get Matt's life? Does Matt get my life? No, we get the life of Jesus. We get the life of Christ. And Paul spoke about that in a powerful way in Galatians 2.20. Let's be reminded. So, so we're made new in Him, and then His life now becomes our life. Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. So in time now... We become new. We get His life. His life is lived through us as we surrender to Him. But then there's another aspect that's beyond time. And it's our future home. Because we know Christ, because the Spirit is in us, a, a, a deposit guaranteeing our future inheritance, this becomes true for us. Upper room, John 14. Let not your hearts be troubled. Hey, let me tell you, let not your hearts be troubled. Trust, believe in God, but also believe in me. For in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to go away and to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, Jesus said, I will come again and I will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. And so the great hope about life is this, is we get life now here on earth in salvation. But then the, also the great hope is, is eventually beyond time, is we'll enter a place where we enter into the presence of God and we will live with Him forever and ever. John uses the word life 36 times in his gospel and every one of them almost referring directly to Jesus, that he is the one who's the giver of life. Life is found in him. And this word life is a Greek word called zoe, and it means life, absolute life, absolute fullness of life, life that's real, life that's genuine, active, and vigorous. Now, before we move on to the next aspect that Jesus is talking about here, so Jesus says, as the Father raises the dead and gives life, so also second person of the Trinity, the Son, ha- gives life to whom He will. And then in John chapter 6, guess who also gives life? The Holy Spirit does. John 6, 663. This is Jesus speaking. It is the Spirit, capital S, who gives life. For the flesh is no help at all. So look at, look at the affirmation. The Son of God gives life. He, the Father gives life. The Spirit gives life. And so, so this aspect of, of life is so important. And so Jesus answering their protest as to why He thinks He can 
call himself equal with his father and why he can do what he does on the Sabbath. He says, listen, let me tell you why I can do this. Because I and the father are the same. He gives life. I give life. Later, he's going to say the spirit gives life. But he makes this affirmation. I am the giver of life. And so I can do what I do because of that. All right, let's look at the second aspect in verse 22. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. So here's the second thing, and the, well, the third thing I want us to see today, but the second characteristic that Jesus makes affirmation of here. The Son of God is the judge. Now let me make a confession to you this morning. I am a, I understand the courtroom in America. I've studied it, I've been in it. And the reason I'm really good at it is because since I was in high school, I have watched every episode of Law and Order that has ever that has ever been there. I've watched all the versions. I've watched all of it, and I know how the courtroom works. And I've been on one big jury trial, and it was fascinating when I was there because when the judge came in, the bailiff says what? Everybody what? Rise. Why? Because the supreme authority has now stepped into the room and is going to take their seat and is going to preside over everything. Now this is really important for us to understand what Jesus says here. So he says, the father judges no one but has given all judgment to the son. Now later in John chapter 8, he's going to give indication. Well, let me just read it. This is John eight sixteen. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. Because here's, here's the reality. We have to be real careful that we divide out the Trinity too much because of their oneness. And so because their essence is one, so the Father, yes, judges, and the Son judges, and the Spirit does the work as well. Remember, well, remember John 15, 16? Um, the Spirit comes to bring conviction and righteousness and judgment and these things. And so the, so the Trinity is working in all three, uh, and all three are working in that reality. So let me, let's, let's talk about this just for a moment. So did he come solely to judge? No. He came to save, ultimately. But if he's rejected this offer of salvation, then he becomes this role, this other role in people's lives who reject the offer of salvation. So this is John 3.17. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. So this offer is made to the world. I gave my Son so that you would come into a relationship. But if you're going to reject Him, He's not going to be your Savior. He's now going to be your judge. And I want to remind us this morning that He's just as glorious and just, just as worthy of worship as judge as He is Savior. He, he's a glorious judge. He's a righteous judge. He's going to bring justice in the right way, and He, he should be worshipped, and we want Him to be that way. And so, so He didn't come to bring condemnation. He didn't come and walk around going, Oh, I can't wait to, to separate you from me. You're already there, but I'm, I really can't wait. That's not, that was not His heart. He came to save. But if that, that offer of salvation is rejected, then he, he becomes the judge in someone's life. And the ultimate reality and the ultimate judgment comes in what people think about Jesus. 
If they don't come to know him, then he becomes the one who sits in this powerful judgment who can say, um, depart from me. Most sad words in the Bible, depart from me, for I never knew you. You knew about me. You did things in my name. It speaks about there, but I didn't know you, and so depart from me. He is the one that we're going to have to stand before. And so to believe in him means that we find life, but to reject him means that we find a second death. If you're a believer today in the room, one death is all that we're going to experience. And that's a physical death. Our spiritual death, we've been, we've been moved from judgment to life now. We, won't, we get to experience two lives. So one death, two lives, or some people are just going to have two deaths. There's a spiritual death, and then there will be a judgment death where they will be separated from God. And the reason why he becomes the ultimate judge is because he is the one who's been given the ultimate name. And because he's been given the ultimate name, he's been given this ultimate role, role of becoming the judge. So we know this famous verse, Philippians 2, 9 and 10. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to glory of God the Father. Donald Trump will have to confess that one day. Nancy Pelosi will have to confess that one day. Democrats will have to confess that. Republicans will have to dis will confess that. Hitler will have to confess that. Every person will confess that he has the highest name. And if you don't know him and you're confessing that name on the other side... The final judgment, tragedy, tragedy, tragedy. So now, he didn't come to condemn. He came to save. But he will be this role of the judge. Now let's ask the question, how does he judge mainly today? So it's June something, right? It's June, right? Yeah, it's June. June 2020, last Sunday of June 2020, how does he mainly judge now? I think he mainly judges now and works, and it's a number of things, but I think one of the biggest ones is his word. Listen to this. You have to put Hebrews 4.12 with 13, always. People, people like to quote 4.12 and don't put 13, but you've got to put 13 with it. So listen to this. Here's how I think Jesus mainly judges now. This is Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing this is how sharp God's word is, piercing to the division of soul and spirit. Matt's going to buy me some steaks after the service. He's going to bring them over to my house, and I can, I'm going to be able to cut the meat away from the bone. I can do that. But I can't, I don't have any kind of power to divide soul and spirit. This is how powerful God's word is. That's how sharp God's word is. He can divide soul and spirit. And then it says this, of joints and marrow, and here's what the word does, says, discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Now, Cody, I can fool Cody maybe for the rest of my life that I've got it together. And Cody will think for the rest of his life, man, that dope, you know, he was my pastor and boy, he had it together. But I tell you what I can do. I might be able to fool you, but I can't fool Jesus. And I can't fool the Word. The Word exposes us, the thoughts and the intentions and even the things that that we think maybe are pure, the word can say, eh, no, that's really about you, that's not about me. 
And here's why you have to connect 13. And no creature is hidden from his sight. Why? Because the word lays open everybody. But all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Now let's go back to the courtroom. When an earthly judge doesn't have the right facts on a case, they can make a bad decision. But with Jesus, since his knowledge is perfect and he knows everything about everyone, when he judges, every circumstance, every judgment is perfect. Therefore, he makes the wisest decision always with everything. And so we are laid bare before him because of the working of the word. And I think that's one of the things that he does now before the final judgment of working this judgment. And again, the Spirit works this role. He comes to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. That's what Jesus said. I believe it's John 15 or 16. It's one of those two chapters in the upper room. The Spirit's role. So the Son is not only the giver of life, but He also, if you reject to be the giver of life, Him to be this giver of life, then He takes on this role that we live under condemnation and He becomes the judge. Here's the third aspect. Look at verse 23, the next part there. Or, yeah, the 23. The Son of God is to receive the same honor as the Father. So 523. That all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. And whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent Him. And so, so if Jesus is not fully God, then these words in 523 are a blatant lie. They're just a lie if He's not God. He is claiming equality with God and that He is to get the same honor um, of the Father. Um, I grew up hearing from time to time when I did go to church that Jesus didn't make a a lot of claims that he was God. And I just disagree with that. I think he affirmed it over and over. And I think he did over and over in John's gospel. And I think he just strongly does here. He says, listen, if you're going to honor the Father, you have to honor me, and I get the same honor that the Father has. So Jesus, yes, is affirming and making... uh, uh, setting forth these statements that he is truly God. And again, I believe this is one of the most clear-cut ones um, in the Bible, and there will be some more in the days ahead in John 5 as we continue to walk um, through this. And so Jesus is basically saying this, if you're not willing to give me the same honor as the Father, then you are deeply misguided, and you are also not honoring the Father because the Father actually sent me and so if you reject me you're rejecting him and you're not honoring him and you're not honoring me and so if they do not honor him as the son they do not honor the father one more statement and we'll move to the last thing today there is no safety on judgment day for anyone who has not come to know and love and worship and honor Jesus he is to get the same honor and you'll hear this today. Here's, here's a way that you can know for sure where people stand. Some people will say, well, yeah, I honor God. I, lo- I love God. I, I worship God. Well, what do you think about Jesus? Is Jesus equal to the Father? Uh, no. I, 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 
I, I don't honor Jesus the same. I think he's a great moral teacher. This is, this is the, the, the crux of the matter where you understand about cults and other things is if they do not want to give Jesus the same honor that the Father has, then that's not the same Bible Jesus. It is not the same. Because they, Jesus says here, are to get the very same honor as one another. All right, here's the fourth statement. And we'll finish with this one today. Um, and it's this. The Son of God is to be believed. And so Jesus sets forth this statement. You are to believe in what I am telling you. So look at 24. So truly, truly, again, here's one of 25 of these in the Gospel of John. I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him, the Father who sent me, has, not hopes to, but has, eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. So I want to close and I want to make four statements that are, I think, really important. And I want to back them up with some scripture as to why the Son of God, when He speaks, He is to be, to be believed. So look at 24 again. I just want to make sure we get it. Truly, truly, I say to you. Again, Jesus is saying here, He's saying what I'm about to say to you is equal with scripture. These are eternal things. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not <clears throat> come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. All right, four things. Here's the first one. Why is the Son of God to be believed? Here's the first one. And it's hearing the words of Jesus are to be our utmost priority. Why is he to be believed? Because his words are the highest priority for our lives. Look what he says there. Truly, truly, I say to you, you've got to bank your life on what I'm about to tell you. Now, I don't know if you grew up in church or not, but way back in the day, I went to vacation Bible school every summer because my parents wanted me gone from the house for a week. And so I would be gone and we would learn this song. The wise man built his house upon the rock. And that's about all I remember. <laughs> I don't think vacation Bible school stuck to me very well. But anyway. Y'all remember the words? Matthew 7. Everyone who hears these words of mine. This is at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Everyone who hears these words of mine, and here's the difference, what, there's a difference here, and does them, embraces them, lives them, builds their life upon them, is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell and the floods came, and the viruses blew, and the winds blew, and the chaos in the economy came, and the uncertainty of a political system was there and it beat against that house and that life and the church. But watch, it did not fall. Because it had been founded on the rock. And here's the difference. But there are those who hear the same words that the wise men, but they do not do them. And because they do not do them, they don't bank their life on them. They're like a foolish man who just goes down to the beach and builds an expensive house with no foundation 
And eventually over time, the storm comes in and the, the waves come in and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and they, blow, they beat against the house and it fell and great was the fall of that life, that denomination, that church, because it did not value the words of God. So Jesus says, listen, the Son of God is to believe, truly, truly, I say to you, Whoever hears my words, they are to be the utmost priority for our lives. And so Jesus, again, context here, telling the religious leaders, my words are equal to the Father's words, because if you remember last week, I say what I hear him say. So what I've been telling you is what the Father says, and you're rejecting what I'm saying, so therefore you're rejecting the Father's words. Here's the second thing. Here, the Son of God is to believe, first of all, because His words are to be the utmost priority. But secondly, um, hearing the words of Jesus affirms the Father who sent Jesus. It affirms the wisdom of the Father to be the one who sent Jesus to be the propitiation for our sin. One of the most beautiful acts that's ever taken place in the world, or is the most beautiful act in the history of the world, is the gift of the Father in sending the Son. And so the Son of God is to be believed because the Father sent the Son and He affirmed the Son's coming. And it's not enough just to hear the words. You've got to believe the words. You've got to trust in what has been said. So listen to this. Knowing of Jesus, be careful to hear what I'm saying. Knowing of Jesus is not going to bring salvation but believing in the finished work that Jesus did will bring salvation. There's a lot of people know of Jesus, but that is not going to bring about salvation. Here's the third thing as to why the Son of God is to be believed. Hearing the words of Jesus leads to belief that brings eternal life. So let's go back to Romans 10. Listen to these words. So how will they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him in whom they've never even heard his name? And how are they to hear unless someone goes and preaches? And how are they to preach unless someone sends them? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? And here's so critical. Listen to this. Here's the third reason why the Son of God is to be believed, because believing His words leads to a belief that brings eternal life, because Romans 10, 17 says this, so faith comes from hearing, and hearing through what? Through the Word of Christ. Now, I'm preaching to the choir in this room this morning. There are churches everywhere today that aren't walking through a text like this, and they're t- I don't know what they're talking about. They're talking about stuff. It's, it's about God, but it's not grounded. And, but listen, we're looking at Jesus' very words this morning. And so salvation never comes when man preaches man's word. Salvation comes when man preaches the word of Christ. That's what must be the case. And so Jesus says here, 
Listen, you are to believe in me. What I'm telling you, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. And so hearing the words of Jesus, the words of Jesus about who he is and what he has done are critical to, to hear the word of Christ because only in that salvation comes. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Lastly, hearing the words of Christ and believing those words moves us from judgment to life it moves us from judgment to life Romans 8 also is one of the most significant sections in the last 2,000 years and and it becomes a kind of a hinge point in the book of Romans of of all the stuff that that Paul has been saying and then it comes to chapter 8 and then he kind of takes things in a different direction in chapter 9 but this 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 beautiful text in Romans 8 just starts with this there is therefore now no condemnation no judgment for those who are in Christ Jesus isn't that not good today that because of the blood of Christ there's a there's a there's a covering for us that frees us to not live in fear about a pending judgment because the blood of Christ has washed our sin away. And then Paul closes Romans 8. And he just, Romans, again, Romans 8, unbelievable. When he gets to the end, he says, So what then shall we say in regard to all of these things that I've been saying? If God is for us, who can be against us? And here's the proof. He who did not spare his own son, but he gave him up for us all. If he gave his son for us, How will He not also graciously give us, Paul says, all things? If He's given the Son, He's going to give more because of the beauty of that. If That's the ultimate thing that He can give, but He's going to continue to give. And then He says, And who will bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. And who is to condemn? Well, the only one who condemned is Jesus. And so Paul answers the question, Christ Jesus is the one who died, and more than that was raised, and who is at the right hand of God who indeed is interceding for us, and who shall separate us from the love of Christ. Now listen to this. Shall tribulation, shall distress, persecution, famine, virus, disease, and a broken economy, nakedness, danger, sword. As it is written for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Now look, listen to the contrast. Sheep just brought along to be slaughtered. And then Paul makes the statement. He says, no. In all of these things, we're not just conquerors. We are more than conquerors. Because we're great? No, no. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And then he closes in 38. For I am sure, I am convinced, I'm banking on this, that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present. Think about our, the chaos of our world right now. Not even the things right now going on, nor the things to come that we don't even know are going to come that may be worse than right now. Nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is ours in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So these are the ways that Jesus is answering. Why does he get to do 
what he gets to do because he's the giver of life because he's been given the authority to be the judge for those who reject his offer of life. He gets the same honor as the Father. So if you reject the Father, you reject the Son. You reject the Son, you reject the Father. And then lastly, he is to be believed because his words hold for us. The only, listen, you know, you know this again. This is the only thing in our crazy days that we can trust in. It's the only certain thing. Go, go home today and turn on the TV, and I can tell you, whatever station you turn on, somebody's lying to us. They're lying to us. They got an angle. They got an angle. But we can bank on the truth of the eternal word of God that it's going to give us, going to set the thing straight. God doesn't hold back. He's just clear about the reality. And so this is how Jesus answers why he can say he's equal to the Father. And if this isn't good, then you got problems, and I'll pray for you. But it's going to get even better next week. He's just going to continue to say, here's why. Here's why you are to believe in me. Here's who I am. All right, let's pray.